I appreciate uh, Jeff just being vulnerable and willing to share that story. And uh, I've, uh, Jeff and I went to college together, so we've known each other for 25 years. And, and, you know, as life does, we've kind of gone separate ways and we connected on social media. And then about a year ago, he started coming here and um, I didn't know that because I wasn't connected on social media. And then we reconnected when I came. And so it was great seeing his faith, his face and his faith. And what I love about that story, there are many things I love about that story. And if you knew Jeff and I in college, you might realize the truth of that, that part where you said, Jeff, uh, he takes a mess and makes a message. That, that was us in college. And, and now here we are making messages. So... Uh, but the the part that I really wanted to point out, though, and, and the direction that we're going is, Jeff, though, being a believer, had to make a decision. And the decision was to follow God or not. And sometimes I think we believe, I said a prayer, everything should work out, I'm, like that stuff is taken care of. But we're constantly at that crossroad of faith and fear. Are we, going to, are we going to follow God or not? And, and actually, the direction that we're going to talk about today is, are we going to follow Jesus or use Jesus? And that's the phrase that I really want us to grab a hold of. We heard that testimony today, and the testimony was, follow Jesus. And I want to encourage us in like manner to follow the Lord. I also wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't pause and say, no matter how you measure we are at least a year with COVID, no matter how you measure it. And it's been a tough year. It's okay if you say amen. Amen? It's been a tough year. We learned some things. Social distancing. We didn't really hear that term before COVID. Kind of wish I would have. Just saying. There's maybe a place for social distancing. Just kidding. But there, there, is, there is another piece. And, and the other piece is essential worker. Do you remember that? And they came out and they said essential worker. And, you know, the, the social distancing turned into social isolation for some people. And for, for others, that idea that uh, essential worker, and I'm not one of those essential workers in my mind, uh, and I think the studies are starting to come out to prove that, that that, that was the beginning of some mental health issues worldwide. What do you mean I'm not essential? What, I don't matter? Maybe I don't matter. Maybe nothing matters. And there's been this spiral culturally worldwide that we've, we've really kind of been wrestling with. And I really, before we go any further into the message, I wanted, I wanted to pause for just a moment and ask everyone to stand up. If you would just be willing to stand up, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to give you a hard time or anything like that. But, but I, I have something I want to tell you. And I want you to stand up for it because I, I, I would like this to stick in your head. You're essential. And you matter. And you have to, I, I want to encourage you with those words, you're essential and you matter. Because if you didn't, then what we're talking about today and what we're celebrating today and next week and really every Sunday that we're here doesn't matter. But it, but it does because it's true. You matter. And Jesus died for you. And if you didn't matter, he wouldn't have died for you. You're essential. And so no matter what the world has said, no matter what lie has been spoken, no matter what um, 
untruth has been stated. And no matter how many times that reinforced, perhaps for you, some belief that you had because of things that others have spoken into your life, that's a lie. You are essential. Don't believe anything less. And so as we get ready to go into this time and address uh, the, the triumphal entry, I just want to pray a blessing on you and recognize we've gone a year in this, and it's been a big year, but we're, we're here, and we're here together, and we can celebrate that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you and praise you and ask Almighty God that you would be glorified and honored in the things that we do and say, and as we talk about what we're about to talk about, we recognize it's Uh, this could be a sensitive subject. It could even frustrate some people today. And so, Almighty God, I ask that, first of all, you would help us to recognize that we are somebody to you, that you care for us, that you love us, that you have a plan for us. And also, Lord, that in that plan, we, we might be off course. And if we're off course, Lord, would you correct us Would you bring us back and would you use the power of your word today to do just that? I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me today while hiding me behind the cross of Calvary because we don't need to see me. We don't need to hear from Kenny. We need to hear from your word. So give us your word today that we can respond in faith to you for your glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, we'll be in Matthew chapter 21. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 21, I want to give you a little bit of kind of behind the scenes. This is the triumphal entry. This This is when it's obvious that Jesus is the King of Israel and the Messiah of the world. And he's coming in in a very um in a very obvious way. But there are some things about this situation that might not be obvious some things about those who are present. And what I'm going to ask you to do is start to look at this passage from this perspective. Would you look and see how the crowd responds to Jesus versus how disciples respond to Jesus? How does the crowd respond to Jesus? How do disciples respond to Jesus? You're going to see some things play out. Now, a few things that I want to make you aware of as we get into this passage. The first thing is this. There is a belief that the Messiah, when he came, he would also be ridding Israel of oppressors, political, government oppressors. In this case, it's Rome. And they are anticipating the Messiah showing up and getting rid of Rome. So, at least for many, The Messiah is going to be a military hero. Keep that in mind as we get ready to jump into this. There are another group of people, and I think Dallas Theological Seminary has done a good job of really bringing this out uh, in their education. And and that's this, that if, if you do the math from Daniel to Jesus' day, the math works out that the Messiah is supposed to be there on that day. And so with anticipation are some religious leaders going, well, maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the one. There are some young people who are, who are getting ready to celebrate going into adulthood with their bar mitzvah. They are there and they are ready. Could it be that we're going to see the Messiah? Now, 
the story goes <coughs> in ancient Israel that the Messiah is going to come. He's going to reveal himself. And there are two options. He may come in on a horse. <coughs> if he comes in on a horse, then we know he's coming in as this military leader first and foremost. He's going to get rid of all of the bad guys around us. He's a military hero if he comes in on a horse. But if he comes in on a donkey, then he's not there for war. He's there to address Israel. And that means that we have some problems within ourselves. So that's some of the context that is happening throughout ancient Israel at this time. But there's one more piece. And this piece is also significant. In John chapter 11, Jesus has healed Lazarus. He hasn't just healed him. He rose him up from the dead. Lazarus was dead for four days in the tomb. And Jesus, speaking a word, brings him out. There is a buzz about that. I mean, you can imagine, this guy was dead. I was at his funeral. Uh, I went over to see how the family's doing. Jesus shows up and he calls him out and he walks out in, in his clothing, in his burial clothing, he walks out. You can imagine the buzz that's happening, the excitement. Could this be the Messiah? And that group of people are going down into Jerusalem and they're anticipating Jesus' arrival. So this kind of sets the stage for Matthew chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1 uh, and read through it. Let's, if you would uh, walk with me on this. And I, I really, really want to encourage you again, look at the difference between disciples and crowds. Crowds and disciples, what's the difference? Verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Let's pause there. I I read that, and that, that blows my mind. I put myself in that situation of being one of those disciples, and I just I start getting a little anxious. Let me, let me put some uh, modern context to it. It would be as if we were talking, and I said, um, hey, up, up the hill is a street. It's called Aloha. And what I'd like you to do is go up to Aloha Street, and you're going to see a red car. It has keys in it. Would you just get in that car and drive it down to me? What? <laughs> like, that's super uncomfortable. How do you know that that person is not going to come out and beat you, right? Or call the cops. Or like, there is a lot in that statement and a lot of trust. Jesus must have seen it in their eyes because he says, if somebody comes out and asks you, tell them the Lord needs it, they'll let it go. Okay, that's a step of faith, y'all, right? Like, that's a big step of faith, and they do it. Uh, verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Now, before I go to this next passage, you're going to see a quote. But it's it's a quote that is a mixture of a couple of passages. This was common practice in first century. They loved to do that. And part of the reason was they had common language. And I don't mean that they they spoke Greek or that they spoke Aramaic Aramaic, or that they spoke, spoke Hebrew. That's not what I'm saying. They had this common vocabulary that they drew from. Uh, 
they, they knew that they had cultural norms and values that they pulled in from. So sometimes they would say things and they would leave out parts of quotes so that the part that was left out was implied. It's called remez. It's a hint. It was a way of teaching. Jesus does it all the time. In fact, we're going to see it in just a little bit. But this quote is one of those times in Matthew. And I'm going to do a side-by-side-by-side for you to see it. And what I'd like you to do as you look at this passage is look closely at what is not included in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 5. I'll read it first. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's Matthew 5, 21, verse 5. But let's look at the prophets, Isaiah and Zechariah. So first of all, let's go to Isaiah. This is what Isaiah has to say. Watch what's missing in, uh, in Matthew. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Isaiah 62, 11. Look over at Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's a, we really could just stick here for the rest of our time. Um, we're not going to, but I want to point out what is missing in Matthew. What is not stated salvation. It's a really interesting thing too. Um, So we have this blend of two verses to drive home a point in Matthew. What's the point? Well, salvation isn't mentioned. So there must be this idea, great thing. In Hebrew, the word for salvation is yesha. And you go, well, that's cool. Thanks. Let me tell you the name for Jesus, Yeshua. What is missing? Salvation. What is present? Yeshua. What is present? Yeshua. Jesus is right there. It would have been really obvious what is being communicated in Matthew from this point. Salvation is coming. What is this about? Is it about the king? Sure it is. Is it about the Messiah? Absolutely. But what is it about? Salvation. This is, our, this is Jesus. He, he embodies that salvation. Let's keep going, verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Common practice for uh, kings when they came back with military victories. Common practice, this is what's happening. Uh, Let's continue on, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, a messianic phrase. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Everyone's wondering, Who is this? Now look and see. Jerusalem is buzzing with excitement. 
And people are looking at Jesus. Here he's crowned king. Well, not exactly crowned, but identified as king, as the Messiah, the one to come. By the end of the week, there's going to be a complete change. He, he's going to be spit on. He's going to be beat. He's going to be called a sinner. He's going to be hated by the people. They're going to call out for a murderer to free over the Savior. This is a big deal. What happens in a week that would cause that? Well, there's many things we could talk about. But where I want to go is identifying the crowd and the disciples. Let's look at them for a moment. Because what you'll see from the crowd is this. The crowd uses Jesus. Uh, They use him. When he works for them, they use him. But disciples have a completely different perspective. They follow Jesus. They follow Jesus. And here's the situation that we're in uh, that that I want to give us today and ask us to just kind of chew on and ask for each of us individually, let the Holy Spirit do his work right now. He may have something he wants to talk to us about individually. Let's let him do that. And what, what I'm asking specifically is to discern. Are there areas that we use Jesus? We don't like that. We don't like to say that. We don't even like the thought of that. It's not fun to talk about. But are there? And if so, we need to repent and follow Jesus. In any area that that may be the case. So let's start with uh, using Jesus first. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a few things. The, the first piece is religious. Some of the crowd were, uh, were people who made up the religious. As I stated earlier, uh, if you do the math from Daniel, it places you on that day there with Jesus. And that's pretty cool. Okay. So for some religious people, they're going, yes, all right, let's... Let's look for the Messiah. That'd be cool. It kind of fits my theological interests. Jesus is interesting to me. Turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 39. I don't have this passage up, so you have to turn there in your Bibles or on your phone. Luke chapter 19, verse 34 is, uh, or I'm sorry, 39 is where we'll go. And in Luke Uh, chapter 19, it's important to identify this is also the triumphal entry. Uh, This is just Luke's version of it. So uh, several of the uh, gospel accounts record the triumphal entry. This is Luke's version of it. And in verse 39, uh, yeah, in verse 39 and 40, we get a little different flavor, and this is the flavor. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were saying some things. They were identifying Jesus as the Messiah, as the king. And you know what? Jesus showed up on a donkey, not on a horse. And it didn't really fit their theological perspective. And that's kind of frustrating when God doesn't do it the way you know it should be done. And that's what they're dealing with here. This is the religious uh, in the crowd. Look at Jesus' word. Remember I said, Ramez, get ready. You're going to see it. Jesus answers, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is a comment. Jesus is partially quoting Habakkuk chapter 2. 
in Habakkuk chapter 2, God is calling out to Israel and telling them that they killed the prophets there. That they are guilty of blood in Jerusalem. Jesus is making a statement to the Pharisees and they don't like it. And the religious leaders are upset because Jesus does not show up the way that they think the Messiah, the real king of Israel, should. Then there are some political reasons. Go ahead and uh, turn forward to John chapter 6. Move to John chapter 6. And we're going to go to uh, verse 15 here in just a second. There are political reasons. I mean, think about this. Wouldn't it be, king, wouldn't it be great for God to be king of your country? That, that would be a great thing. Especially if God gave you food whenever you wanted it. God calm, calmed storms whenever they happened. And you could just count on that regularly. That'd be great. Yeah. And in... John chapter 6, verse, uh, the, the, starting in verse 1, we see that Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Now skip down to verse 15. This is after all that. Perceiving, them, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain uh, by himself. They wanted him to be king. Why? Well, just bring some fish and some bread and watch what he does. Like, that would be a fantastic thing. We want our king to do that. Those people are present at the triumphal entry. Maybe we want Jesus to be king if he does things the way that we want, want him to do. Over the course of the next week, he's going to prove he doesn't do things the way that they want him to. Let's look at some uh, physical reasons. Go ahead and fast forward now to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we'll, we'll look at verse 17 and 18. And in John chapter 12, uh, this, this is also John's version of the triumphal entry, what happened uh, at the triumphal entry. And he gives some uh, additional information. In verse 17, he says this, The crowd that had been with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. Wait, this is, this is the guy that rose Lazarus from the grave who is dead and now, now he's, he's here? Yeah, I want to see that. That'd be cool. In fact is, my back's been hurting. I wonder if he'd, I wonder if he'd help me out. I know somebody. I have a friend who just died this week. I wonder, maybe Jesus, is he could help me. And this idea that Jesus will meet physical needs, is, is, it's fair. But their expectations stay here. They're using Jesus to get what they want. Each one of these groups is using Jesus to get what he wants. Hmm. I wonder about us sometimes. Jesus in that religious perspective, you know, we, one, of, one of the cool things about uh, Western Christianity, honestly, is it helped us explain a lot of things. 
You know, when we look at church history and things that were written, a lot of it wasn't explained. It was just kind of stated and, and some things assumed. But Western Christianity explained a lot of things. It helped us to better understand Jesus and how these things could happen and, and compare and contrast. Why is that a miracle? What makes it a miracle? Those kinds of things. Great in Western Christianity. Here's the downfall. We've explained too much of Christianity. And there is a mystery associated with our faith that we need to embrace. Someone recently said, hey, Kenny, can you explain to me the Trinity? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I, can tell you, I can tell you a little bit about it. I can describe what God is not like. I can give you attributes of what God is like. But this Trinity, it's a mystery. And I'm really okay with just staying right there. There are things that my Hoosier brain can't understand. That's fine. I'm going to stay there. And sometimes God is present with us, and it's a mystery. We don't have to explain it. The religious, they don't really like that. Or what about the political? Ah, we want Jesus to do what we, what, we want the government to do what we believe Jesus should do, and somehow we've We've kind of murkied the waters a little bit at times. And sometimes people think, oh, if I'm a Christian, then I look this way or do these things. Or, or now be careful. Be careful. Let's give them Jesus. Let's give them Jesus. What about the physical? The physical. Now, I've been hurting for a while and I prayed and God didn't, he didn't heal me. I've been praying for my neighbor. I've been praying for my friend. I've been praying for my spouse. I've been praying for my parents. I've been, whatever it is, and God didn't meet it the way that I wanted it. That makes me mad. And perhaps that's a good identifier that we're using Jesus. If we come to the place where God makes us mad because he's not meeting our expectations, it could be that we're using him. It could be. And so the question that we throw out again is, uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Are we using Jesus or are we following Jesus? I think one of the, the interesting pieces in, in this is that, you know, it, it could just happen that in some situations I'm following Jesus and in some situations I'm using Jesus. And maybe another identifier is when I say things like, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about this because I just don't, mm. <laughs> like as if, as if I'm going to put God on trial, right? Uh, you have to explain to me, God, dangerous place to be. Be so careful. And again, it might be an identifier that there's some repentance that needs to take place. So with that being said, let's look at following Jesus. I, I love how it plays out in this narrative. Um, it, it, it's just so simple, but so good. You know, first of all, it's a matter of going. Right? If I'm going to be obedient to the Lord, then I need to go. And for those disciples, they were willing to go. And one place they were willing to go was to go get a donkey. And you got to believe that that was an uncomfortable moment. And that was true throughout their ministry. Jesus had them go to places that they were super uncomfortable. It happens all the time. And I've seen men and women whose faith represent that. Wait, God, you want me to go do that? That doesn't really make sense. Yep. Now go, but I have a question. Okay, I'll give you this much of an answer, but you got to go. You got to go. Here's what I'm telling you. 
And it's amazing how in those places uh, God uses it. Now, this, I, this is kind of an awkward one, and, and, and it may be uh, head-scratching. The second one here is follow. And you say, well, you already have follow Jesus. Yep, that's a general statement. Follow Jesus, we do these things. But here's a specific. We're specifically following Jesus. In this specific place, the disciples aren't just doing this for Jesus. They're going with Jesus. I like it. They're going with Jesus to a place that's pretty dangerous. Within a week, Jesus is going to lead these men to a place where an army is going to be present. Men with swords. Men who have training in killing people. That's their job. They do those kinds of things. He's going to take these 12 guys who are between the ages of 13 and 20 to that place. Some people go, well, I want, I want God to be safe. Let me just tell you, God's not safe, but he's good. Absolutely good. And this is an example of that. They are following Jesus to a place that's going to be kind of dangerous. This past week, one of our missionaries that was here told a story. And I, I, I'm just going to kind of generalize it a little bit, but here's, here's the gist of it. They're in the Middle East. And they're a group of believers from this tribe in the Middle East. And um, they get together and they're about ready to start studying Scripture. When a terrorist comes in from another tribe. This terrorist that comes in starts acting like he's interested in Jesus. And so they begin to ask questions and they realize he's not being genuine. And so this terrorist begins to um, say some pretty awful things about these young men and what he's going to do. And as I understand, it also included their families. Just vile things. And then left. So one of the men that was there makes this statement. Well, I think we need to pray for him. One of the other men that was there, sitting by the missionary, says, I don't think I can pray for him. Not even for Jesus. I just can't. Now, we look at this as if the issue is just this one scenario. You've got to understand, there could be thousands of years of history there between the two tribes and family members that were hurt by this tribe and that tribe. So it's pretty deep. It's, it's not just that moment. But this guy... Not even for Jesus. I can't pray for this man. And the guy who made the suggestion about prayer said this. I can't pray for him either. Not for Jesus. Not even for Jesus. But I believe I can pray for him with Jesus. And that's a big difference. With Jesus. And that's what we're talking about with following. Where do we go with Jesus? Disciples go there. They're willing to follow. They're willing to go to those places. It's uncomfortable. It's maybe even scary, but they'll go there and they'll do it. Why? It's not, it's not for Jesus. Like, Jesus, you need this from me. No, it's with Jesus. I'm, I'm joining you in this place, God. And then this last one, obedience is prepare. I love that, prepare. Um, the disciples, when they got the donkey, they quick had to prepare before Jesus was able to ride, they had to prepare and put something on there. Um, recently, I read this story from a pastor here in the United States. Um, he went to China, and at the time in China, they didn't have any 
opportunities for pastors to get educated in China, except for by word of mouth, discipleship, uh, one to another. That was it. There was no formal theological education. This pastor from the United States went to China, and uh, there in the evening, there are all these pastors around him, and, and uh, he says, well, I think I'll start in Genesis and, and uh, do the first couple of chapters just so you get a flavor for you know, the whole Bible and where things are going and why the New Testament is important. The first few chapters of Genesis will help with that. So he opens up his Bible in a half hour. He finished, closed it, and they looked at him and said, what are you doing? He said, what do you mean? I, I finished. He goes, they said, that's just the first couple of chapters. We have a whole Bible we need educated on. And he said, well, that would take all night. And they said, oh, thank you. And they got out their pen and paper and they started to write. And then they came back the next day and some of their church people came and all of them had pen and paper. And he said, well, what are you, what are you doing? Why do you have pen and paper? And he said, because of the Great Commission. They said, well, what do you mean because of the Great Commission? And he said this. Well, the Great Commission says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We have a responsibility to teach others, so I need to know what you're saying, and I'm going to write that down. And as I was reading this from this pastor, I started to laugh because I realized that like, when I go to seminars, I, I don't even bring pen and paper. Like, I go, oh, I guess I could fill in the blank. <laughs> you know, like that's some sort of act of worship or something. Um, but this preparation piece is a big piece. And it's a responsibility that we get to have. So the question, again, is where are you? Do you see some areas in your life where oh, you don't even want to verbalize it, but the truth is maybe we're using Jesus in these ways similar to the crowd? Are there some areas in your life where you're saying, you know what, I, I just need to follow Jesus. I need to go where he leads me. I need to follow him where he takes me. Take him with, with me where I'm going, and I need to prepare. I need to be prepared. Is that you? If so, I, I just, I just want to take some time right now. The worship team is going to come onto the stage, and as they're coming, I want to ask you to pause before the Lord, just, just between you and God. God, have I, been, have I been using you? If so, would you illuminate my heart? Would you, would you speak that into me? Give me eyes to see this because I don't, I don't want that to be true. And it's going to be hard for me to see, but I'm, I'm willing to if you'll show me. Just ask God to have his way before I pray. Jesus, we, we do come before you and we ask you to illuminate our hearts that, that there are times when life gets really difficult, and we put you on trial. Why? As if you have to answer to us. And Lord, sometimes we explain away your goodness and your glory even, or even what you're trying to do in a situation that's not fully known. Forgive us for that. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. Help us to walk in your truth. To go where you call us, to follow you in those places to be prepared to serve you for your glory. Lord, I, I, I thank you for those disciples of old, those men and women who 
showed what it looked like to follow you, to be obedient, even when it was hard. And I thank you for how you've passed that down. And even as we heard the story today with Jeff and how he went through such a difficult time and, and yet he chose to follow you and chose for you to be glorified. And you have been, Lord. We would just ask for that even now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.